0: Well, this uh, this past week, I guess on Monday, was my daughter's sixth birthday, and so Emma Grace turned six, and it was interesting because as we got ready for the party, um, I guess I should say as my wife got ready for the party, since I didn't do anything, um, she was asking Emma Grace, she said, hey, um, what, are, what are some things that you want? You know, what, what, what kind of colors do you want? You know, well, I want pink. What, what kind of gifts do you want? Well, I want, I want some, I don't know, some pretty ponies, that'd be cool, and, and some... Uh, some princesses. I like I like pretty princesses. And Polly Pockets, I like those. Those are good. And so, you know, she kind of said, you know, I want some pink ponies with princesses riding and, and, and all these. Pin-. And, and I'm just thinking to myself, how did I get myself into this, you know, with this complete, like, you know, total world of girliness, you know? And um, just to think about that, because I was thinking back to when my mother-in-law first held her, she said, well, oh, she looks like such a diva, you know? And so she's kind of holding her. And, and to this day, that's my daughter's nickname. She's the diva. It's like, go and get the diva. Diva, come here, you know, whatever. And so all of these things, this name, the diva, what we call her, kind of defines her. She loves everything girly. And, and so if you want to, you know, if you want her to laugh at a joke, make it girly. If you want her to, uh, to get dressed quickly, pick out girly clothes, you know. If you want her to, uh, to make the decision that you want her to make, Make sure that it involves a lot of diva-ness, and she'll make it. She, in fact, she doesn't even like anything that's boily. She says the things are boily; she doesn't like them. So, um, but it, it's just interesting that what we called her, even at a young age, kind of defines how we interact with her even today. And we're going to start a new series, and He shall be called, which which is this time of, of when uh, a prophecy of what Jesus would be called even before He was born, and this prophecy of of what He shall be called it should define how we interact with him. What, what we know about Jesus and what we know about God through this prophecy should change how we interact with him because our view and our image of God really defines um, our relationship with him. So we're starting a new series, and He Shall Be Called, and it's gonna focus on um, Isaiah chapter nine. So if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't come with one today, you can feel free to use one of ours. The ushers are gonna pass them out now. You can take one to read along during the service or you can take it home with you. It's yours to keep. I know the words in this book change my life, and I know they can change yours. So let me give you a little background on Isaiah 9. Isaiah is a prophet, which means he's a messenger of God. So he takes the message from God. God speaks to him. He takes the message, and he goes and he delivers it. That's his job. That's what he does. And if you read the beginning of Isaiah 9, you'll see that Isaiah had to go through several kings. I think it's like three or four in the beginning of Isaiah. You'll see he outlasted several kings. And so what that tells us is when you look at it, the government is kind of in distress because when you go through several kings, that means something's not very constant. There's turmoil. So there's turmoil in the kingdom. There's turmoil in the Israelite nation. And uh, without a stable king, things would be falling apart. And so you have these kind of like crazy times, the people are disobedient. They're running from God. They're moving away from him. They don't really care what God has to say. Um, They don't care that God has delivered them and brought them into this land. They don't even care about any of that. They're looking at the people around them. They're looking at the economies around them. They're looking at their own economy, and they're kind of—that's all they're focused on. They really don't care about God at that point. Then you have this guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah is so laser-focused on who God is. He's—while everyone's running away, he's running towards God. And in the midst of running towards God, he is blessed with the opportunity to come face to face with the creator. And so the creator is standing there and God is standing there and, 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 and he and Isaiah, they're in, they're in uh, each other's presence. And Isaiah realizes, whoa, even though I'm a right, you know, righteous man in people's eyes and I'm, I'm running towards you, God, I am nothing compared to you. And he, he just admits, look, I'm, I'm worthless and you are everything. And God pretty much says, I know, but here's the deal, I'm gonna fix you. He doesn't really say I know, but he does fix him, and so he he um, he removes his sins, much in the way he can re- remove our sins today. And he and he moves him, and he says, "Hey, I want you to be my messenger." And so this very uh, just vivid picture of this commissioning that Isaiah receives leaves him able to say whatever God says. He doesn't care if it's good, if it's bad. He really doesn't care. He's going to say whatever God wants him to say, and that's the truth. So everything that you say that he says in this book, you know, is ordained from God based on the experience that he already had. And so he he begins and he starts to tell the people, hey, you guys are disobedient. You're running from God. You've been living disobedient. You've been warned. And you're going to get what you deserve. And praise God, he doesn't end there. Because then he starts and he talks about how he wants to look beyond their filthy sin. He wants to look beyond all those things. And he reveals to them that they have a need for a savior. Out of all this junk that's going on in their world, out of all the things that are going wrong in their nation, the people... And all of this, he reveals. Hey, you have a need for a savior, and so he turns this message that you read about in Isaiah nine from hopelessness to hope, from death to life, from light uh, from dark to light. He brings sorrow where there was, or he brings joy where there was sorrow, and so he turns this entire thing upside down. And kind of the culmination of that happens in the verse that we're going to key this entire series off of, which is Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says this: "For to us a child is born." To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I'm not sure if you caught the reference there, but this is talking about the one that this holiday that we're about to celebrate. This is prophesying about that baby that we're about to celebrate on December 25th. That's what this is talking about. And the cool thing is, if you look in your Bible where it is, This is actually about 700 years before Jesus actually came. So this is a prophecy of something that is to come. And he's saying to the people, Hey, I know things are bad. I know things are down. I know your world looks to you like it might be crumbling apart, but don't worry because in the midst of all that, I'm going to send a baby. And this isn't just any ordinary baby. This child is going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He's saying, hey, I promise something big's coming. And it's coming in the form of a child. And, and so there's a reason why each of these statements are used. There's a reason why each word was, was put into the mouth of Isaiah. And so we're going to take a week and study each word. We're going to study each of these particular attributes of God. And if you know what a DTR conversation or a defining the relationship conversation, I hope this series is kind of like that for you. I hope it's like an opportunity for you to think, okay, this is who God is. And if I have an appropriate image of who he is based on what I see right here, that should affect how I interact with him. That should affect my relationship with him. It should define who he is to me. And so much the same way my view of my daughter at a very young age has defined who she is, I want our view of who God is through this scripture to define our relationship. So today we're going to start with just wonderful counselor. That's the one we're going to look at today. And so wonderful counselor, um, there's two words there. And the, the first word in the Hebrew, if you look at the root words, it's, it's referring to wonder. It's referring to things being marvelous, things being astonishing, things that are outside of our own understanding, things that are beyond our own comprehension. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the word wonderful because I'm pretty sure you guys understand the word wonderful, Right something that you cannot grasp, but just in your minds think, okay, this is the kind of wonder that is so amazing that there's absolutely no way we could ever recreate it on our own. There's absolutely no way that, that you could experience this apart from God. Just think about that kind of wonder, all right? The second word is counselor. And the Hebrew word there, and I don't speak Hebrew, but it's something like yoes. And uh, it means one who gives advice or counsel. And the first time we see it is in Proverbs 24, 6. And if you were to look back there at Proverbs 24, 6, you would see it's referencing counsel in a time of war. So it's referencing like when people are going off to war, this is the kind of counsel that would give you strategy to win, strategy for victory, strategy to overcome your enemy. That's the kind of counselor we're talking about. Just a side note, in some of your Bibles, if you're looking at this, I mean, this scripture I think is on... Um, it's on page four eighty one in those Bibles we handed out, but there's a little superscript, and that superscript refers down to the bottom, which tells you that it may be wonderful, comma, counselor. And the only reason I bring that up is because I want you to know that in some translations it says wonderful counselor, and some it says wonderful counselor. Either way, he's wonderful, and he's a counselor. So he's either wonderful overall or he's wonderful in his counselor. But I just want to in his counsel, but I just want to point that out. And so right here, just studying the words, we're gonna get the main point of the whole day. And this is the point where if you check out after this, that's cool, because this is what I want you to get, all right? And that is this. God's perfect counsel is better than my flawed wisdom. God's perfect counsel is better than my flawed wisdom. If you don't get anything else and you get that, we've had a win today, okay? Because God's counsel is better than what I think I'm supposed to do on my own. Um, 1 Corinthians one twenty-five says this. It's on page 792 in those Bibles if you're looking along. It says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And that just means God on his, uh, God on his worst day is still so much better than us on our best day. All right? So no matter how smart you think you are, God's way smarter. Okay? No matter how good you think you are at, at steering your own life, God is so much better. It goes on to say, And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God's wisdom is so much better than ours. It's obvious in that scripture. Um, on page 516 of those Bibles, in Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah goes on and he proclaims a little bit more about God's wisdom. This is one of my favorite verses, and so I just, just you might want to meditate on it later to kind of help get you in perspective of who God is in relationship to who we are. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. When you read that, And you read that God's ways are higher than our ways and that his counsel is better than our counsel and that every single word that God speaks, and in this case, he's speaking through Isaiah, every single word has a purpose and a meaning and that it will not fall void. That just, it helps to further reiterate in my life how much God's counsel is better than my counsel. Some of you may know the story um, about how I arrived here at LifePoint, how I became the youth pastor, but um, before I was the youth pastor here, I was a civil engineer. I worked for a construction company. Um, I worked in their estimating and project management department and uh, had a great career there, had a um, kind of a fast track. It's a small, like a local company, but pretty big for the area. And, uh, you know, 400 employees, had direct access to the owner, was uh, over a lot of I mean, you know, I had a lot of people that I was responsible for kind of managing and, and, and working with. Had was it like training under, um, you know, the, the lead project manager. You know, I was apprenticing, kind of trying to follow his ways and learn from him. And so I had this fast track of this job, and, I, and, and it was going quite well. And uh, I was called out of that. You know, God clearly spoke, hey, this is, a, this is not what you were meant to do. I know you're doing it. I know you're doing well, but that's not what you're meant to do. You are meant to do something completely different. You are meant to work in youth ministry. And, and out of that calling, my wife and I had to basically ask the question, were we going to obey? And the people around me, as I started telling my coworkers, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to leave this job. Actually, I didn't really say I think. I just said, I'm leaving, and this is what I'm going to go do. And they were like, you're crazy. You realize that, right? You're, you're pretty much of an idiot. Like That's just kind of the view that they took. And in a lot of ways, I believed him. I mean, I was like, you know, you're kind of right. Like, this doesn't really make sense. Um, but I had a choice to follow God, and I, and I chose to follow him. And in a lot of ways, God's counsel was better than my counsel. Because it came down to, you know, like, while it didn't make sense on paper, it came down to a step of faith. And kind of asking myself, who's better at steering the ship? Me, who can see to the horizon on a clear day, on a, on a cloudy day. I might not even be able to see to the end of the ship, you know. Me who can see to the horizon on a clear day or God who created the horizon, who knows what's beyond the horizon, who created everything in my life, who created me, who is separate from time, both past, present, future. He knows it all. He can change anything at any moment to anything he wants. That's the kind of God that he is. He's all powerful. And on top of that, he loves me and he cares about me and he wants the best for me. Who's better at steering the ship, me or him? Well, in that sense, it's obviously him. It's not always that easy, but it's definitely his counsel is better than my wisdom. And it proved that it, it really was the wise choice. Because if you know what the construction industry has done over the last several years, you would know that, it, and I'm sorry if you're in the construction industry right now, because I would have felt your pain. It, it went like this. And all 400 employees at that company were laid off overnight. And I would have been laid off with them. And I would have lost the security that I had in the things that I was trusting in had I not moved to a different position that God had called me into. And I didn't know what was coming, but God did. And his counsel was better than my wisdom. So you may be sitting here today and you say, okay, I agree with you. I agree that God's counsel is better than my wisdom. I get that. And I I will agree that, yeah, I, I might even want to follow it. But the question is, how do I even hear from God? You know, it's not like it's not like you can just say, hey, Jesus, can you come over? I got a couple questions, man. Can you come sit down on the couch? You know, he gets over. Hey, man, what's up? You sit down. Hey, you know, I was thinking about this or this. this." You can't do that. Right. You can't climb the stairway to heaven, knock on the door and say, God, let me sit down here for a second. I got to ask you something. That's not how it works. You know, it may work that way for you. But for me, I haven't had FaceTime with Jesus. You know, like I haven't had that opportunity. That's not how it comes through. And so the question is, how do we hear God's counsel? if we can't sit down and have a conversation like that. And so digging back into the scripture, what I did was I looked through the Bible and I looked for times that the English word counsel was used. And I looked at it, studied it. And one of the main verses that I came to was John chapter 16, verse seven, which is on page 750 in those Bibles. Um, John chapter 16, verse seven, it says this. But I tell you the truth. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I'm going away. These are the same disciples that have been following him for so, however long, and they're thinking to themselves, wait a minute, I've been following you this whole time, and you're telling me that after I've watched you raise a man from the dead, watched you stop a storm, I've watched you heal people, I've watched you uh, cast out demons, I've watched you have wisdom beyond anything I've ever imagined in my life, I know that you're the Messiah, I know you're the Son of the God, and you're telling me it's good that you're going away? Okay, they're probably not thinking so, but maybe. And and then Jesus goes on. He says, "'Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. "'But if I go, I will send him to you.'" Now, the Hebrew word for counselor here is parakletos, which literally means to call beside. And if you'll notice in the scripture, it's actually capitalized. And so it's not just referring to any counselor. It's not like I'm gonna send some wise person over here. This is referring to the counselor, which is referring to the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is literally saying um, the counselor will come. The Holy Spirit will come to you. And as I said earlier, our view of God kind of defines how we relate to him. You know, like what we think about when we think about God kind of defines about what we think he's capable of doing. And in a lot of ways, our view of the Spirit defines what we think the Spirit is capable of doing. And the Spirit is something that I think is a little bit misunderstood. So I'm going to do something that's a little risky here. Um, By a show of hands... How many of you guys would believe that the Spirit is real um, and that he's moving today as is promised in Scripture? Just raise your hand if you think that's true. All right, so we got a lot of hands in here. Okay, so the second question is, how many of you, if I asked you honestly, would say that you have experienced the Holy Spirit in your life in the last week? Okay, so many less hands, all right? And so the question arises, okay, there's a Spirit that we believe is true, that most of us believe is true, and yet we're not experiencing him. It's kind of a big question. You have this counselor that's promised, and yet we don't really understand how to interact with him. And so I bet if I, told, if I gave you this book, if I gave you the Bible and I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to a desert island. I want you to wipe away everything you know about religion. I want you to wipe away everything you know about church. I want you to maybe even forget what you know about God. I just want you to read the book. And I just want you to just try and take it honestly for what it says you would come out with this amazing picture of who God was, the story of redemption that he has throughout the entire story. But you would also come out with this expectation of who the Holy Spirit was and what he was capable of doing. And so when it says the Spirit came on him in power and he was able to do this, you would expect the Spirit's going to come on me in power and I'm going to be able to do this. The Spirit comforted him. The Spirit's going to comfort me. The Spirit guided him. The Spirit's going to guide me. You would expect all of these things that you read about from the Spirit you would expect them to be alive and moving in your life. And so when I asked that question, have you heard it? Have you felt him moving in the last week? Not only would you raise your hand, you'd probably raise it emphatically because the spirit would be alive because you would have that expectation of the spirit. But let's just take a second and just jump back into that verse. So John chapter 16, verse seven, it says this, but I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, The counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And I think Jesus is making a key promise to us here. He says, It's for your good that I send him to you. Because, in essence, he's promising having the Spirit with us is better than having Jesus in the flesh. Essentially, he's promising it's better than being able to like, just invite Jesus over, open the door, what's up, fist pump? Jesus you know, comes on in, he sits down, you have a conversation. Better than that is to have the Spirit. That is what he's promising to us today. Better than, the, better than Jesus in the flesh is having the Spirit with us. And, I mean, it, you wouldn't even have to wear a WWJD bracelet. You could just, you know, like, instead of, instead of being able to ask him, if you were truly following the Spirit, you would be able to just listen and hear what the Spirit has to say. Um, and I think a lot of that is because Jesus um, was confined to a, a body while he was here with us. And yet the Spirit is not confined to a body. The Spirit is able to move. The Spirit's able to be active in your life and in your life and in your life and in my life and, everyone, and, and in our church body all at the same time, which doesn't make sense to us, but that's because he's God. So it doesn't make sense to us. And so what I want to do, because we can't talk about Wonderful Counselor without taking a minute and talking about the Spirit, I want to like, give you a little quick education on what I read about the Spirit when I read in Scripture. So this is going to be a bit like drinking water from a fire hose. I'm just going to throw out a bunch of stuff at you and you get whatever you can, okay? So the first big thing about the Spirit, I would say, is that He is fully God, okay? The Spirit is fully God. Sounds like a simple concept, but it's not very easy to, to wrap your brain around because the first thing it says, the first commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so it's, it almost puts this oneness on God. And yet I'm telling you that the Holy Spirit is fully God. And so I'm, I'm telling you that that's two things. You've got the Father God and you've got the Holy Spirit and you also have Jesus and you have the three things there and yet there's one. How does that even work? How can the Spirit be fully God and the Father be fully God and Jesus be fully God and yet only be one? And that kind of brings us back to this concept of the Trinity. And so if you've never heard that before, I would say probably an easy way to think about it would be um, think about H2O. comes in the form of a solid, it's so ice. comes in the form of liquid, it's water. comes in the form of a vapor, it's called steam. You have three distinct things, ice, water, steam. They're very different, and yet they're all two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. And in the very same way, we have one God who is able to be in three distinct forms, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we have this trinity about them. The Spirit is fully God. It's not some lesser version. This isn't like, you know, like kind of the castaway of God. This is like, this is fully God. Um, if you want to go back and read Genesis 1.26 later, you can see where he even says, let us, implying that there is a, there is a pluralism to the oneness of God. And so I want to make sure you you understand that he has, because he's fully God, he has all the capabilities of God, meaning he's all-powerful, he's uh, omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's omnipresent. That means he's able to be everywhere. Um, he's holy. He's eternal. He's capable of emotion. And so he feels the same things. He mourns for us. Um, he is eternal, separate from time, the same way God is. So you need to understand that about the Spirit because all of the powers that you think about when you think about God the Father, those are also God and Spirit. And the second big thing about the Spirit that I want you to get today is that the Spirit is relational, okay? The Spirit is, is not some distant Spirit. This isn't some distant God. This is a God who takes up residence inside of us, okay? It promises us that, the, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is not distant. The Spirit interacts with us. He intercedes for us. He comforts us. He cares for us. He directs us. He guides us. He, he brings us power. All of these things come from the Spirit. Not a Spirit who's distant, but a Spirit who lives inside of us. And so while, while today the Spirit can be hard to understand, one thing is for sure, and that is that the Spirit will always guide us to God's will. The Spirit will always personally guide us to God's will. That's just a fact, okay? You don't have to ask Is the Spirit going to take me towards God? You just know, yes, He will. And so the question isn't, will He lead me on the right path? It's rather, will I follow? So I told you my story about how I came into youth ministry, and I kind of left out one little piece in the very beginning. And that is, yeah, I was working as as an estimator, as a project manager for a construction company. And yes, because of that knowledge, I was having lunch with the lead pastor of our church talking about buildings and grounds and land development and things like that. And in the context of that conversation, things quickly shifted to, hey, I know that you're in construction and I know that you've been serving in our youth ministry for, you know, for several years as a small group leader. And I know you love that and I know that's great. But what I want you to do is I want you to switch gears. And I, and I think God has laid it on my heart to ask you to become the next youth pastor of our church. That's how that happened. And in the context of that one conversation, I felt God was saying, hey, just trust me, man. Just do it. I, I got your back. I got you. Do this. So I call my wife. You know, and you kind of imagine how this conversation goes. So I call her and I'm like, hey, guess what Guess what Donnie and I just talked about? She starts laughing when I tell her. And then she realizes I'm serious. And this is what I love about my wife. In the context of this one conversation, she says, are we doing it? Not what, what are you thinking? But are we doing this? I, I feel God's leading me to this too. Are we doing it? And the answer to both of us was, yeah, we're doing it. God's counsel was direct. It was very clear. Then we spent two months trying to not do it. We spent two months trying to run away from it, trying to say, no, that's not what it's supposed to be about. I think maybe somebody else would be better at that. I don't really think that's where we're supposed to be. And I think that's kind of how it is. God's counsel is perfect. God's counsel will lead us to his will. The question is not, is it right? The question is, will we follow? And so out of that, I would just ask you guys to consider, you know, what is God calling you today? And if you feel it, if you know it, if God's speaking directly to you, are you following it? And so the last thing I would say, kind of about this big piece of this wonderful counselor, would be what, if you're listening to me talk about the Holy Spirit, and you're saying the Holy Spirit directly guides me, and if you know that you have God's word, and so you can read about God, and you know that, that God has a personal relationship with you. The question would arise, why do you need church? What do you need small group for? What, is, uh, what in the world do you need Christian friendships for? Why do you need people in your life that, that have Christian uh, backgrounds that are following the Spirit? Why would you need any of that? It's a valid question. And I think in my life, the answer is because more often than not, God speaks through somebody else. God speaks to my heart and yes, God moves in my heart. And yes, I hear not an audible voice, but I hear movement and I hear him directing me in different paths. But more often than not, that's through another person. And so let me read you a couple Proverbs. Uh, the first one is Proverbs 12, 15. It says, the way of a fool, which this one actually really applies to me because I, I feel like I'm following the way of the fool here. The way of the fool seems right to him. And a lot of guys in here probably go, yeah, my way is always right. So if you're like me, just go back and realize that that's the way of the fool, okay? So the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Hmm. Proverbs thirteen twenty on the same page, page 449, says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. If you're going to hang out with godly people who give you godly wisdom, you're going to become more like what God wants you to be. Because as you listen to godly counsel, you're going to be directed by the Spirit through them to go into the direction of God's will. And so we need to be able to seek out and listen to God's counsel. And sometimes, more often than not, that wisdom comes through other Spirit-filled believers. So sometimes those Spirit-filled believers are already in our lives. Sometimes those Spirit-filled believers are, you know, a, a mom or a dad um, sometimes those Spirit-filled believers are a husband or a wife. Um, sometimes it's it maybe even your children um, are, are helping to lead you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Someone who you know is full of the Spirit and is helping to guide you back towards God. Maybe that person is already in your life. I already said a little bit about the fact that my wife in my life is quite often that person. Sometimes she does it with a smack upside the head, but you know, more often than not, she's guiding me towards God's will. She doesn't actually hit me, but you know, usually, uh, usually she can put me back on the right track. Um, and so, I would say, you know, as you're looking for these people, you know, we can't judge somebody's heart. It's not like you can just look into their heart and say, "Oh, yeah, that person's got the spirit all in there." But you can see what's called fruits of the spirit on them. And so, I'd encourage you later if you want to look that up, fruits of the spirit. Just read a little bit about that. It's all over the place. Um, You can read about it in the Bible. Um, But it's like peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faith, and self-control. There's some other ones in there. But those things, when you see them at work in other people and you know it's from God, that should give you an indication this person is following the Spirit. And so that should be an indication that you might want to listen to what they have to say. Sometimes, however, the stuff in our life is outside of our control. And sometimes the things that we're facing are too big for the people in our life. Sometimes, we have to go and seek counsel from other people. I know in my life, I've had to do that. I've had to seek out professional counseling. And through the, through the seeking of professional counseling, I was able to hear, you know, just declutter my mind and listen and, and be able to share the innermost thoughts that I'm having with somebody who I can trust. And having that counselor be able to speak wise words back into my life was invaluable. And so sometimes we have to look outside of the counsel of the people right around us. And I would encourage you to use the same characteristics to look for a Christian counselor, somebody who is full of the Spirit, who not only is gifted in the area of counseling, but also is led by the Spirit. And so you may be sitting here today and maybe there's something that you've been dealing with that you've been trying to figure out and you can't quite get it figured out. And you've you've talked to the people around you that you know that you trust give you godly advice and you know that this is beyond their capability. It might be time for you today to think about seeking out the counsel of somebody who is biblically and professionally trained to help you in that. Not to be ashamed of it. I know it's helped me in my life and I know it can help you in your life. And so I would just encourage you to consider that today. That's my plug for, for Christian counselors. So um, just look for the same fruits of the Spirit that you look for in anybody that you want to seek advice from. So as I wrap this up and as I kind of bring it to a conclusion, I would say, what is it that we need to bring to God? What is it that we need to bring to God? Because if God's wisdom is better than my wisdom and he's going to speak to me through his spirit and he's going to speak through other people, what do I need to put before him? And I would say this, try and do it yourself. Whatever you can't do yourself, take it to God. Whatever you can't get done on your own, take it to God. That's right, right? You guys agree? Whatever you can't get done on your own, take it to God. But doesn't it say in the scripture that we can't do anything on our own? So I would say, if you're gonna take anything you can't do on your own to God and you can't do anything on your own, then what should you take to God? Everything. Sounds so trite, but it's so hard. Everything. God wants to give us the best counsel for everything in our life. Not just the little stuff or not just the big stuff. I know in my life, right now, we're trying to find a a new home. That's kind of a big deal. We wanna give that to God. And I know we also wanna give, my my youngest sons have some health issues. We wanna give that to God. But God wants more than just those big things. And for me, it's a struggle to give him the little things. For me, it's a struggle to let go of the little things that I want to hang on to and give it all to him. For you, it may be the complete opposite. Maybe you give him all the little stuff, but the big things, you just can't trust him with that because that's just too big. But whatever it is, God wants it all. And you need to know today that God wants it all because he has the best counsel. So no matter what you're facing today, big or small, you need to know that God provides the best counsel. I want you to take that away tonight. Today, when you leave, I want you to know that no matter what you walked in here with or no matter what you'll face this week, that God has the best counsel. And God provides his counsel through his spirit and his spirit speaking through other people. You may be asking, well, I never hear from God and I wanna hear from God. I want the wisdom. Give me the wisdom. James chapter 1, verse five says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without fault, and it will be given to you. If you want to hear from God, ask him about it. And you may have said, Well, I've already done that. Ask him again. Keep asking, because he will give if you ask. And so the question as as we wrap this up and the band comes back up here is not will God give you counsel, but rather, will you follow? It's not will God lead you, it's will you follow? So we're going to transition now. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And uh, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass a a basket with a little cup of juice and a little wafer of bread. As we take time now and as we celebrate who Christ is and what he's done, the life change that he's had, if you're if you are a Christ follower and you're new here, I mean if you're new here and you're not following Christ or you're just new to this whole God thing, you don't have to feel obligated to participate. You can just feel free to let those baskets pass. But as we enter into this time of communion, if I want you to remember and kind of meditate on this entire series, the fact that this was written and recorded 700 years before Christ came. The hope was there. For us, it's not past tense, it's present tense. We don't have to wait. We don't have to hope that this is true because it is true. We don't have to read the verse in Isaiah 9 two that says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. We don't have to read that thinking that's future. We read that and know that has passed. Jesus has come. We don't have to read verse six and say, for us, For to us, a child is born. To us, a child is given. And know that that that's future. That is present. That is for us. We know in verse seven, it goes on and it says, he will reign on David's throne from that time and forever. We know that, that Christ did this, not just in the past, but for all of eternity. Whatever you came in here this morning with, whatever you are hanging on to, Whatever you need to give to God, as I was talking about the things that he provides counsel for, whatever you were thinking of, Christ already died for that. He died so that we could have life, not so that we could hold on to all this junk and bring our own death. He died so that we could give it to him and have life abundantly. And so as the band plays, I just invite you to take this little cup of juice represents Christ's blood shed for us on the cross and that little wafer of bread which represents Christ's uh, body broken for us and I just invite you to reflect and ask yourself what are you holding on to what is it that you need his advice what is it that you need his counsel just give it to him as the band plays just reflect on that